reading from the book of Acts. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. When they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they may, they may receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because... You thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samarian villages. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Little delay. Good morning. My name is Paul. I am the senior pastor here at One Fellowship. For those who are visiting, again, a special welcome on behalf of our community of faith. This fall, we are making our way through the book of Acts. Today, we're going to be landing on chapter 8. But before I begin, could you bow your heads with me one more time as I share a brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts 
Be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. So today's message is titled, The Purpose of Problems. And I want to begin with this question. Has the craziness of life ever presented you with unique problems? Last Sunday, this little guy turned 14 years old. This is our middle son, Blaze. And as is our custom or my wife's custom the night before, after the kid, whoever's birthday it is, goes to bed, all these decorations come out, streamers and homemade signs all over the house. And now our daughter has caught the bug as well. So she is part of the birthday planning committee. So they stayed up late last Saturday night for Blaze's birthday. He woke up to a couple dozen donuts, ate himself silly. He was having a good time, open presents. Okay, so then things kind of went off the rails a little bit because I had to leave early. Why? Um, I had somewhere to be, which is church. I had to uh, be here early, and uh, I noticed that right around 9 a.m., I have a front row seat to what's going on here, both in the building and beyond. And if you haven't noticed, I'm rather tall. So when some of you are running late to church, uh, I see you running late to church. In fact, what's really interesting is how excited or guilty uh, some of you are when you drive in because some of you park over there and literally sprint into the building, right? You know who you are. So last week, I saw this maroon SUV like flying through this frontage road. I'm like, who is driving like a, a bat out of, you know? So anyway, and it loops around and I'm going, that's my wife. That's my wife. Pastor's wife, she's running late. But then she stops right there. I, I can even see over there. And then she flies out. Where's she going? We're supposed to be here as the church, right? Where are you going, babe? Well, it turns out, you know, our oldest has just turned 16 and, and he's able to drive to church by himself. And sometimes he doesn't want to wait on mom, so we allow him to drive himself. So anyway, he drove and my wife drove only to get a phone call on the way here. And it was our birthday son. And, and, and he goes, Mom, um, do, you, do you want me to come to church? Because I think you forgot me. <laughs> and he, he said these words, should I read the Bible or, or, or do a devotional? True story. Like, this just happened last week. This is what it's like to, to live in the craziness of the Sorensen home. I'm sure you all face unique challenges in your home, right? So as we look at our passage, facing a different level of craziness, the early church found themselves navigating unique problems. I, I believe the big idea from our passage today is this. Life's greatest problems present faith's greatest pathways to share the love of Jesus to our world in need. Life's greatest problems present faith's greatest pathways. Got that? To share the love of Jesus to our world in need. So let's break this down. Point one, friends expect 
problems in life. The passage began, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So what's going on here? Well, the gospel is going out and persecution is breaking out. A quick recap of the book of Acts. The gospel is going out. The gospels themselves, the uh, the, the books in the Bible that talk about the life of Jesus, him coming to earth to save us from sin. Uh, the book of Luke is written by the same author here in Acts. In fact, Luke, the gospel of Luke, is the first volume of two volumes. Luke is about the savior of love. Acts is about the mission of love. By whom? By you and me, by the early church. In fact, if you remember Acts chapter one, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And immediately in the book of Acts, we start seeing this take place. In fact, at the end of Acts chapter 2, we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The gospel was going out with great favor. In fact, Acts chapter two and other chapters, people are coming to faith day after day. Thousands of people, whole families are coming to faith. But as the gospel's going out, we see that persecution against the church starts to break out. And let me, let me ask this question. Have you ever been attacked in your life? As I was thinking about this passage, uh, I found a picture of a gnarly, rabid-looking dog with a chain. Now, um, I showed this picture to my daughter. She says, Dad, that dog is misunderstood. I would adopt him. Um, I'm not sure I'd adopt him. Maybe I'd let Miss Ellen work with this dog first. She adopts dogs and anyway, fosters dogs. Nonetheless, when I was a kid, I grew up in this small little community in Central Florida. And at that time, the community was Babson Park, Florida. And there was this little road called Thornburg Road, and we lived on Thornburg Road. And, and in a small town, I don't know if any of you guys grew up in a small town, but there's not a lot of division between those who have plenty and those who live in poverty. In fact, often they're right in the same area. It gets different the bigger the city becomes, right? But on Thornburg Road, you'd have nicer houses, and then you'd have kind of shacks and impoverished houses. And uh, back in those days, this is pre-internet, guys, Kids, pre-internet, I know you can't even imagine this well, but this existed. This was a security system. They didn't have Ring. They had Bruno or whatever this dog's name is. Dead serious. And I think this would be considered maybe abuse nowadays. I don't know. 
All I know is I was walking second, third grade down Thornburg Road, and there was a dog, a big dog, growling and jumping at us. And, um, and we, weren't, we weren't testing it, and I was scared, and a few of us were walking down. Next thing you know, this dog jumps at us, and the chain breaks. And I start running, we start running, and what happens? This dog jumps on my back and starts tearing me apart. My shirt, I was screaming at the top of my lungs. My friends came to my aid. I think some adults came to my aid. It, it was terrifying. Can you imagine? Have you ever experienced any type of verbal or physical attack? That's what the early church is experiencing early on as they become believers. The passage goes on. It says, Saul began to destroy. And sometimes uh, translations are too soft in their, in their translation. That word destroy means to attack with brutality and sadistic cruelty. It's the picture of a rabid beast tearing apart its prey. Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. Can you imagine? It was a scary scene, and we would learn later in Acts, a lot of these people were put to death. So why is this happening? Why can we expect problems? Why? Because there is a war being waged for our souls. Elsewhere in the Bible, we read, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 1 Peter 5.8. Elsewhere, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There is a war right now being waged for your soul and your family's soul. That's what scripture tells us. So in this life, you and I will face hardships. And it's not simply because of sin, but it's because you are valuable. You have worth in the eyes of both God and his enemy. We can expect problems. We are part of a big meta-narrative, a cosmic conflict. Point two, we are called to embrace opportunities out of these problems. Passage goes on. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city." A little more teaching about the context. For those who don't know, the Jews and the Samaritans, this people group, they despised each other. 
I know we have some nerds, some history buffs in here, so let me read a little backdrop to why there was such hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. This is from John Stott. It's hard for us to conceive the boldness of the step Philip took in preaching the gospel to the Samaritans. For the hostility between Jews and Samaritans had lasted a thousand years. It began with the breakup of the monarchy in the 10th century BC, when 12 tribes defected, making Samaria their their capital. Only two tribes remained loyal to Jerusalem. It became steadily worse when Samaria was captured by Assyria in 722 BC. Thousands of its inhabitants were deported and the country was repopulated by foreigners. In the 6th century BC, when the Jews returned to their land, they refused the help of the Samaritans in the rebuilding of the temple. Not till the 4th century BC, however, did the Samaritan schism harden. With the building of a rival temple on Mount Gerizim and their repudiation of the Old Testament scripture, except for the Pentateuch. The Samaritans, catch this, the Samaritans were despised by the Jews as hybrids in both race and religion, as heretics and schematics. Bottom line, they didn't trust each other at all. Now do you see how radical it is where Jesus says, Behold, a power will come on you and you will go, where? To Jerusalem. Okay, cool, that's where we live. Judea, uh, Samaria, yeah, you'll go all the way to the ends of the earth, to all people. You see, God will place us in circumstances we do not choose to reach people we do not like to offer unconditional love we do not deserve. And that's, what ha- that's what's happening here with Philip. He's being sent through persecution, not through choice, through persecution to the Samaritans. And I wanna share a story about a friend of mine who was at a hospital just a couple weeks ago. This friend, uh, he grew up, had a really, really tough childhood. In fact, was past between different family members, didn't have stability in the home. He ended up living with grandparents that were physically and emotionally very manipulative and abusive. And his safe haven was his aunt. So as a kid, he would go to his aunt's house. She loved Jesus. She loved him. And fast forward now 40 years, he gets a call a month ago that this aunt has not felt well. She went to the hospital. Lo and behold, she has stage four cancer. There's problems all over her body. There's problems in her bones. And just a couple weeks after that, she's literally on her deathbed. So this friend of mine, he has cousins, and this this aunt had had a rough life later in life, and she had this a few, I think, uh, sons and daughters, and then uh, an older boyfriend, and they're all in the hospital room with my friend, and it's just darkness in the hospital room. And uh, these cousins, family members are all wailing. They're struggling. And my friend is struggling, and yet he has hope. Why? Because he has Jesus. And it was interesting, as he told me the story, uh, he had a peace that no one else in the room had, and and he just tried to be the presence of God. You ever find yourself in a situation where you, you don't know what to do, but you know you're supposed to be there? 
And uh, you know you're supposed to share the love of Jesus some way, shape, somehow. So he's praying. He's there for like 30 plus hours over three days. At times, he's able to pray softly, but there's still this barrier. Finally, he says to the older boyfriend of his aunt, who's a professed Buddhist, but struggling, hopeless. He says, I'll tell you how you feel. Excuse me, you tell me how you feel, I'll tell you how I feel. And that was where the floodgate got opened. And this older gentleman just started gushing his sadness, his anger, his confusion. He started sharing his story, which then allowed my friend to share his story. The boy that had found a safe haven in his aunt had now become the safe haven for his aunt's family. See? The aunt goes, goes on to pass away, and the, the following day, one of the cousins who's not a believer ends up calling my friend saying, I just want to thank you for your, your presence there, kind of your, your peace there, your prayers there. And it's, again, open more opportunity. In fact, his witness was so clear that someone in the hospital, a nurse said, are you a pastor? Are you the pastor of this family? No, he's just the son of the family. He's now been given the opportunity this coming Saturday to give like an eight or 10 minute memorial speech where he's gonna lift high both the ant and the name of Jesus. You see, every problem is an opportunity to prove God's power. Every day we encounter countless golden opportunities brilliantly disguised as insurmountable problems. That's from Pastor Chuck Swindoll. So friends, if you are facing hardship, might it be that God is not closing a door, but actually opening a door for you and for him? Point two, we can embrace opportunities out of our hardships. And then point three, we can share Jesus. The scripture goes on, it says, he, Philip, proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized, men and women. So I just wanna give you a little hermeneutical trick. When studying the scriptures, look for repetition, okay? And uh, I know you're not reading in the Greek, but I find this great, because I've always struggled even just with the English language, let alone the Greek and the Hebrew. But we have a Greek scholar in the room, Kenneth. Can you pronounce this word? I did not give you. Uangalizo. There we go. All at once. I'm just having fun. Here's the deal. It's the word from which we get the word evangelism. Uangalizo, I believe is how it's pronounced, but that's from a Polk County guy. Evangelizo, uh, evangelism. It said, Philip came, he proclaimed, he brought, this is what it literally means, to bring the good news of Jesus. It's repeated five times in this chapter. It's introduced in chapter five once, but then it's like, ba-boom, Philip, boom, 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 boom. Take note, he's there to do what? To bring the good news of Jesus, to share the story of Jesus, to share his story with Jesus. That's what's happening here. And here's something that's really exciting for me. 
Over the last few weeks, I've had the opportunity to hear over 100 stories of the good news of Jesus from you. We are having private gatherings about the future of our church right now with the members of our church. I've heard over 100 different stories, and I know we're gonna hear more of how God is moving in your hearts, in your homes, in your family, in your workplaces. God is showing up here. In fact, I have one. I did not ask for permission, but I have one of these I would like to share today. This is from a woman in our church. I have spent a lot of years, blood, sweat, and tears, striving, trying to make my life into what I wanted it to be, which on occasion has been met with disappointment, failure, and outright anger and frustration with myself and God. But what I'm learning is that there's an incredible joy and comfort to be found in surrender and community. I am forever grateful to my heavenly father and to my earthly family and friends who stand beside me, love me, support me, encourage me, laugh with me, cry with me, intercede for me, and remind me, what? That I'm not alone. For in this journey, I've come to believe, not only in my head, but also in my heart, that it is in these two things, surrendering community, the real riches and fulfillment on earth can be found. Amen? You see, the good news of Jesus changes everything. And going back to our passage, as Philip is sharing the good news, you could easily skip over this, this bridge that is being built between the Jews and the Samaritans. It's not just about the individual. It's about the community. It's about the family. It says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria, yes, those people, had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. It says they placed their hands on them and prayed over them, welcoming them into the family of God. So what's so staggering? Well, just to give an example of the hatred between these two groups, just in the Gospel of Luke, it's recorded that this John... Peter and John come to Samaria to bless the work of Philip and to bless the people. <laughs> in Luke chapter, chapter nine, John is recorded as having said, Lord Jesus, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? This same John had sought to condemn them before he fully embraced and was filled with the love of God. Now he's not condemning them, he's loving them. Not just loving them to say, you are who you are, we are who we are. He's saying, no, we're all now part of this family of God. We're all saved by the Savior of love. We're all called to this mission of love. You see, Jesus doesn't just restore hearts, he restores relationships. He restores communities. He's restoring a nation. He's calling us not just to himself, but to one another. And that's what our friend shared in her testimony. And you see, if God can use a newbie, Philip was just appointed a leader in Acts chapter six to serve the poor, the widows. If he can use a newbie like Philip, who's really a nobody, who's now a refugee running for his life, he can use you and he can use me. He can use you, Nate. He can use you, Lindsay. He can use you, Jason. He can use you, Melissa. 
He can use you, Ari. He can use you and me to do what? To share his love to our world in need. So in summary, life's greatest problems present faith's greatest pathways to share the love of Jesus to our world in need. Does it make sense? We can expect problems. We can embrace opportunities and we can share near and far. I didn't prepare this, but God prepared this. About a year ago, a little girl in our church, she came up and gave me a note. I've carried it, carried it in my pocket for the year. Pastor Paul, I like how courageously you talk about your God. Love, Brooke. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Daniel Island, Mount Pleasant, North Charleston, Somerville. We have someone leaving, going back to Germany in the next week. In Germany, in Italy, in Venezuela, in Brazil, through your family near and far. You will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. You will share the good news, the story, the hope that's unconditional. So the application is simple. Friends, give thanks and go. Give thanks for those who brought you here today, who brought you here this far. Someone had the courage and the love to say, hey, come and see. Come and see what God's doing. And Nick, God wants you to go. God wants you to share your story with your friends in your neighborhood to say, how can I pray for you? I've got your back. That's the love of Jesus. Who are you gonna write a note to this week? You never know. They might carry it for a year. Let's pray. Whew. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love that conquers all boundaries, all barriers, that breaks down all walls and builds bridges, and it builds bridges to each one of us. Thank you for that love. Thank you for those carriers of that love to the Phillips in our lives. God, I pray in accordance with your word that we would go, that each one of us this week and in the coming weeks and years, we would go on mission with you, reaching people we never thought we'd reach, even through circumstances we never thought we'd be in. May we be satisfied and you be glorified in all we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.